Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This week I'm going to talk about a story that was been, that's been recommended to us since the very beginning, which was over a year ago now, um, but completely forgot about it, so, you know, just getting round to it now. So this week I'm going to talk about Archibald Hall, who's also known as Roy Fontaine. So, Caitlin, have you heard of this one before? I feel like I know the name, but I wouldn't be able to kind of pin it with the story. Mm-hmm. I think once I get into it, you'll be like, oh, it rings a few bells, but didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I'll begin. Archibald Hall was born on the 17th of July, 1924, in Glasgow, and he lived with his parents, Archibald Sr. and Mary Hall. His dad was an army man who served in the First World War, and his mum was a housewife. His dad was a Presbyterian and he was also known in the area for conducting preaching sessions in the local area. So, you know, he'd he'd take his Bible out of the house and and go do some preaching in the streets. Now, Archibald was a healthy child. Um, He didn't grow up in awful, unhappy surroundings as far as I'm concerned, at least in his early life. Now, in 1931, his parents adopted a little girl called Violet, and he apparently took to being a brother very well. As Archibald got older, he began to get more unruly, which resulted in his first court appearance at the age of only 13 in 1937. Because of this and Archibald's behaviour, his dad moved the entire family out of the city of Glasgow in the hopes that the trouble of the city living would shape Archibald into being such a troublemaker so he tried to take him away from that. Now during World War II Archibald Sr volunteered to go back to active duty which meant the entire family had to move and they were posted at Catterick in Yorkshire near the barracks. So Archibald Jr he was not fond of the place and due to boredom decided to take up stealing. Now the military police were eagle-eyed obviously because you know World War II military and so on. They caught on to Archibald, so they raided the family home and found several secret papers and memorandum in Archibald's bedroom. However, that's not the worst part. This discovery was overshadowed by what was in the cupboard. At almost the age of 16, the age where he can then be enrolled into the army, they find a homage to Adolf Hitler in his cupboard. Now, this is still World War II, so these actions were almost deemed as treason, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, during this time, his mother was apparently having an affair with his dad's commanding officer. Not that that's really relevant to the story, but, you know, just setting the mm-hmm. scene. Now, Archibald Sr. was soon to be dismissed from the army, being informed that this was down to old age. However, the real reason was no doubt due to the fact that his son had you know a wee Hitler incident in the cupboard Mm -hmm. now the family then returned to Glasgow homeless and you know I'm gonna say they must have been feeling pretty shit now they got themselves a home and by the age of 16 back in Glasgow Archibald's main focus was sex he had a relationship with one of his mother's friends Anne Phillips who was in her 30s at the time 
took him for an evening meal and then back to her place and seduced him. He then went on to rob the cash drawer in her shop as the relationship continued on as she introduced him to a more sophisticated world and the high life. So, you know, it was kind of a small relationship hidden and she owned a shop, but it was perfect for him because he could take money from the cash drawer. Now, Archibald also went on to sleep with another of his mother's acquaintances, who was a Polish freedom fighter that his mum had took in, who slept in the spare room. Now, when he complained, when the Polish freedom fighter complained about the discomfort of the bed, Archibald Jr. offered his bed, and when they were sharing the bed, it was at that point that he realised he was bisexual. So the pair became a couple right Mm -hmm. under his mum's nose. Now, as well as discovering his sexuality, he also developed a love for jewels, gems, expensive metals and antiques, which gave him sexual gratification when obtained by him. So whenever he managed to steal it, you know, it gave him good feelings. Now, to earn a living and to obtain these things that he had, he was a petty thief roaming the streets of Glasgow. So once he was good at that, he then moved on to thieving shops and local houses. Due to the act that came out in 1939, calling all males aged 18 to 41 to war, there weren't many men around, so the men left behind were either medically unfit, they were deserters or dodgers. However, a lot of them were still given non-competent roles in the war, so they were still uprooted away from their families if that was possible. Mm-hmm. So be- Because of this, it left a lot of women behind to run the businesses, which was great for Archibald because he knew just where to go and steal. Now, his repeating returns to the court system resulted in Archibald receiving a short jail sentence in 1941 for theft. By this time, his mum had left his dad and was going by the name Marion instead of Mary. And I don't know much about this or why. But that's all it said that his mum had left. Now, Archibald Jr. had also spent some time in the Isle of Butte working in a bar before coming back to the mainland before he was arrested. So he went over there for a while and, you know, lived his life and stealing as well over there and then came back to Glasgow, you know, trying to keep a low profile. Yeah. yeah. Now, a further appearance before the court in 1941 resulted in him having a detention in a psychiatric unit. When the unit conducted their psychiatric psychiatric analysis, their results weren't great. They said he was abnormal in attitude and completely without any sense of shame or sorrow for his misdeeds, with no moral sense whatsoever. In the eyes of the psychiatrist, he was deemed to be a danger to society. Now, throughout The rest of his teenage years, he frequently stayed in psychiatric hospitals around Scotland. In 1946, Archibald was released from his final psychiatric stay, which was Perth Asylum. Archibald was ready to live the glamorous lifestyle and using the profits of his burglaries, he moved to London. Now, Hollywood and his stars fascinated Archibald and inspired by Joan Fontaine, I'm not sure if you've heard of her before, but she was in Alfred Hitchcock's film Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Archibald changed his name to Roy Fontaine. 
So he had a short-lived marriage, but he was openly bisexual and embarked on a string of affairs with men. London celebrity gay scene welcomed him and he was a charming Glaswegian. You know, now Fontaine, he claimed to have had sexual relationships with Lord Boothby, playwright Terence Rattigan, as -hmm. well as Lord Mountbatten. Now, he made all these claims well after those men were mentioned were dead. So it could all just be what he's saying. You know, there's no proof whatsoever. He could just be, oh, I was living the high life and I did all this with these powerful men, you know. Now, in between socialising with London's elite, his tricks and burglaries caught up with him. And he spent more time in prison. During one lengthy sentence for theft, he set about refining everything about his character so that he could pass without suspicion amongst the English aristocracy. Mm-hmm. I can never say that word right. Yeah, <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> he eradicated all traces of his Glaswegian accent, he studied social etiquette, and he became a self taught authority on antiques. So he is now at least pretended to be a high society Englishman. Now, he was also a dual thief and he received 10 years in prison in 1964. Now, shortly after his incarceration, he escaped from this prison in Suffolk, only to be recaptured in 1966. And for this, he received another five years on top of the 10 he was already supposed to be serving. Wow. Now, in 1972, he he was paroled. And it was during this time, while in Preston, that he met Mary Coggle, an Irish woman, who became his mistress. Okay. Now, in between his period- periodic spells inside, he worked as a butler to the rich and famous. By the end of 1973, he was back in prison and he stayed there until 1977. So he just can't get away from prison. When he was released from the prison this time, he found employment as a butler to Lady Margaret Hudson at Kirkleton House in Dumfriesshire. While he lived there, he was visited by one of his prison acquaintances, David Wright, who started to do various odd, odd jobs around the house for um, Lady Hudson. Now, while Wright was staying with Archibald, some of uh, Lady Hudson's silver and a ring vanished. Now, this annoyed Archibald as he liked his job and he also liked Lady Hudson and he had decided that he wanted to go straight. So when he found out that Wright's girlfriend had the ring, he persuaded her to return it. Now, this time, it was Wright's turn to be upset. So when Archibald was in bed asleep, he was suddenly woken up with a loud bang. Now, Archibald saw his friend Wright standing next to his bed and pointing a rifle at him. The bullet had hit the headboard above his head. So it was obvious that his friend Wright had taken advantage of Lady Hudson's champagne cupboard because she was away. So he had drank all of her drink and he was obviously angry at Archibald and wanted to take him out of him. Now, Archibald thankfully managed to calm him down and get him back to bed. So the very next day, they both went out hunting rabbits. Now, after they had fired several rabbits, Archibald was sure that Wright's gun was empty. He shot him in the head, killing him instantly. He dug a rough grave in the bed of a stream and buried the body. A little while later, 
Lady Hudson was informed by the police about Archibald's criminal history and she dismissed him. So this has nothing to do with the murder, just because, you know, theft in and out of prison practically all the time. So Archibald moved down to London in November 1977. He once more got a position as a butler, this time to 82-year-old Walter Travers, Travers Scott Elliot and his wife, Dorothy. Now, it didn't take long for him to notice that his new home was full of priceless antiques and he decided that this was going to be the big one. After this, he would be able to retire. So the Scott Elliots were very wealthy with many bank accounts around the world and were the owners of several houses in Britain. Once Archibald had moved to London to work for these people, he went to a pub and he also met up with a man called Michael Keto. Now, Archibald found that he had quite a lot in common with Keto because he also had a history of petty crime. So Archibald, Michael Keto, and also Mary Coggle, who I mentioned earlier, decided to burgle the house of the Scott Elliots together. So Mrs. Scott Elliot had to go into a nursing home for a few days. And on the evening of the 8th of December, Archibald took the opportunity to show Keto around the Scott Elliot's house. So unbeknown to him, Mrs. Scott Elliot had returned home earlier in the day. When he opened the door to the Scott Elliot's bedroom, he expected to see the old man fast asleep, but was confronted by Mrs. Scott Elliot, who wanted to know what they were doing there, especially with a stranger in, in her house. So panicking, they both grabbed her and using a pillow, managed to suffocate her. Now they decided to try and make it look like an accident so we're putting her back into bed when her husband woke up but Archibald explained to him that his wife had had a nightmare and that he should go back to sleep. Oh right. Yep. So now he's probably sleeping next to his dead wife. Now the next day Mr Scott Elliot went to his club for lunch and Archibald, Keto and Mary Coggle tried to decide what to do next. You know, they've also got a dead body up the stair. It's not really going as planned. Now, they thought if they just kept him, Mr. Um, Scott Elliot, sedated with his normal quota of pills, then Mary would be able to impersonate his wife, at least for a while, you know. The next problem they had to decide, though, was what to do with her dead body. Now, they put the body into the boot of their car, and that evening took Mr Scott Elliot to a cottage in Cumberland that Archibald had rented. Mary sat in the back with Mr Scott Elliot with a wig and Dorothy's fur coat, and they all drove north. Now, the next day, they buried Mrs Scott Elliot's body by a lonely roadside near Lockairn. Having got rid of the body, they then drove back to the cottage and left Mr Scott Elliot there with Mary Coggle, still posing as his wife, well, they both returned to London and ransacked the house. So Archibald and Keto are now in London, burgling the house. They went back, though, and they went to pick up Mr Scott Elliot and Mary, and they continued their drive north. Now, on the afternoon of the 14th of December, near Glen Affric, Archibald and Keto decided it was time to get rid of Mr Scott Elliot. So they attempted to strangle him, 
Now, they thought this was going to be really easy. However, Mr. Scott Elliott managed to fight back with an Mm. unexpected strength. So in the end, they used a spade to beat him to death. And then using the same spade, they buried his body in a shallow grave. Now, this is getting messier and messier for the lot. You know, they just wanted to burgle the house. Now, during the next day, things were really tense between Archibald and Mary. She wanted to keep Dorothy's mink coat, but obviously Archibald wanted to get rid of the evidence. So when they got back to the cottage, they started to argue and then it turned into violence. So Archibald struck Mary, knocking her to the ground with a poker and put a plastic bag over her head, suffocating her. As you do. Now, later that night, Archibald and Keto drove to Carlisle, to Glasgow Road, and dumped her body in a stream under a bridge. Now, it was just those two left, so they spent a quiet Christmas with Archibald's family. Now, after the end of the festive season, you know, Christmas is now over, they both returned to their Cumberland hideout. This time, they went with Archibald's brother, Donald, or half-brother Donald should I say just like Archibald he was also a criminal he had a criminal record for burglary but he was also a paedophile now fair enough Archibald hated him for this and he didn't like him Mm, so when Donald started to ask too many questions about you know their newfound wealth because now these two folk are loaded Archibald decided it was time for him to go. So he rendered him unconscious with chloroform and drowned him in the bath. Right. Mm-hmm. Now the next day, we're on the 15th of January, 1978. They once again drove north. Now they like to, you know, kill in the south and dump the bodies in the north. <laughs> Don't know why. Now they looked for somewhere suitable to dispose of um, Donald. Now it'd been snowing. And the ground was frozen. So they decided to spend the night at the Blenheim House Hotel, North Berwick. Now, the hotel proprietor was suspicious about his two new guests. And he telephoned the local police and asked them to check out their car registration. This could have been absolutely fine. You know, check out a registration. However, Archibald had fitted false plates to the car just recently. So that was to be his downfall. Now, when the license number was checked, it was found that it should actually belong to a Ford Escort. However, they were driving a Granada. I couldn't tell you the difference between these two cars. Sorry. The two policemen, then they appeared at the hotel to ask them to explain what's happening here because the number plate doesn't match the road tax or anything like that. They were taken back to the police station. And this is when. Archibald asked to go to the toilet but then escaped out of the window. However, his freedom was short-lived because he was later picked up in a taxi on his way to Dunbar and taken back to the police station. Now, the police searched the car and they found Donald's body in the boot. Mary Coggle's body had also been found by a shepherd who was walking along the street, apparently. Or a farmer. A lot of the articles said shepherd. I don't know if they still got okay. called that. Now, 
the disappearance of Mr and Mrs Scott Elliot was also being investigated. So, in the end, Archibald broke down in questioning and made a full confession. He even mentioned the earlier murder of David Wright, who's the guy, you know, who shot when they were out rabbit hunting. The police weren't even thinking about this one or investigating that one. But Archibald broke down and told them. So, obviously, they were both under arrest, Archibald and Keto. Following a failed suicide attempt on the 18th of January 1978, Archibald helped the police search for Mr Scott Elliott's body on the Highlands. They found him chewed up by foxes amongst a rhododendron bush. Now, days later, they dug up David Wright, and soon after that, Mrs Scott Elliott was found face down in a roadside ditch 100 miles from where her husband's corpse had been uncovered. So all the bodies have been found and Archibald has made a confession. Now, Archibald was convicted at courts in London and Edinburgh for four murders because oh, wow. he had committed crimes, you know, in both places. Now, the murder of Dorothy Scott Elliott was ordered to lie on file, which I believe means that there's enough ed- evidence to convict him for it and also a confession and something like that. So, again, it was, you know, something law. There was a lot into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into now, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. In Scotland, it was recommended that he serve a minimum of 15 years. And in England, the judge handed down a recommendation that he never be released. Oh. Now, Keto, he was, he was given life imprisonment for three murders with no recommended minimum in Scotland and a 15-year minimum in England. Police said in evidence that Quito was, in a perverted way, fortunate to be able to go on trial as Hall was planning to kill him too. Now, successive Home Secretaries secretaries put Archibald on the list of dangerous prisoners who should serve a whole life tariff. So which, unlike some criminals on the list, did not alter Archibald's prison status at all, as it was reciprocated the tariff set by one of his judges. So yeah, he was put on this list that practically says, you know, you should never be allowed out because you're dangerous. But at the end of the day, the English court said, you know, life imprisonment. So technically being put on the list, he was still going to spend the whole time there. Mm-hmm. Now, when politically set tariffs were declared illegal by the law lords and the European Court of Human Rights, that didn't change Archibald's status at all either as a prisoner and likely to be released. Now, he, despite those lists being abolished, he was still the oldest prisoner on this list. In 1995, the Observer newspaper published a letter from Archibald in which he requested the right to die. He made numerous unsuccessful suicide attempts, but obviously we don't have the death penalty here or anything like that. So life imprisonment it was. Now, Archibald actually published an autobiography, A A Perfect Gentleman, that's what it's called, in 1999. Um, because he's also kind of known as the murder butler and things like that because he was a gentleman, even though he was a thief and murderer. Now, he died of a stroke in Kingston Prison, Portsmouth, in 2002 at the age of 78. By this date, he was one of the oldest 
of more than 70,000 prisoners in British prisons and the oldest to be serving a whole life tariff. So that's the story of Archibald Hall, aka Roy Fontaine, also known as the Monster Butler. My goodness, so many names. I would be interested to see if anyone's read the autobiography. Yes, that would be interesting. I know I could have read it. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, because it rang a bell there, she said the autobiography. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that may be something I look at getting, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really loads to discuss with this one to the fact no, that. No, not really. He did, in my opinion, he deserved his life sentence. And even though his life wasn't great as a child, but at the same time, there must have been something in his head or brain that made him do these things. Because it wasn't like, you know, how when we're talking about murderers, etc., that they got, they were from orphanages, they were beaten up, they had an awful yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. There was none of these loads of red flags, you know? No, he just started to to steal because he was bored 